and welcome to Stationary Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford and joined as always by my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, how's the med this week? Well, I don't know, Justin, I am a man barely alive this week. Um, I've, I've had a bit of a sort of, well, my wife tells me it's a cold. I mean, I think it's something far more serious, like man flu. Um, but whatever was in my head uh, and in my chest has now moved lower down. And so things are, well, just a bit iffy, to be honest, a bit iffy. But let's just just draw a veil over that. How are things in Canada? A um, little less iffy, but uh, that's good. good. Uh, you know the problems, Stu. You keep going out. If you go out, you get sick. Stay home. Well, perhaps you're right. <laughs> uh, no, I, we had, uh, my brother-in-law came to the house last night and uh, his wife was sick and I was just like, ah, what do you do? You know, it's like, I'm still living in the past. I, wow, it's crazy stuff. Mm. Yeah, I hope you feel better soon. Mm. Things are good here. Um, I am keep looking for spring, but it's not here yet. Soon, I hope, soon. One of these days. I went out on the weekend, I ran into a little problem of, well, a site that was just inaccessible with far too much snow. It was uh, an hour drive for nothing. I was kind of upset. Oh dear. Uh, but oh well, uh, it could be worse. No more uh, tornadoes down in the Mediterranean for you. Uh, no, we've had we've had a very clement week. I have to say not too much rain. Uh, it's blue skies. The temperatures are... Very reasonable during the day. Um, I, it would be churlish of me to complain because this is usually the worst month in Cyprus. And uh, actually, touch wood, it's been really nice so far. So um, it feels pretty spring-like here. It's very verdant. We've got lots of flowers blooming. And uh, and what happens now is in the next couple of months, the sun comes out and kills it all. But, okay, what can you do? All right. So what's new with you this week, Stu? Oh, uh, well, what's new with me? Well, I'm still with things. I haven't changed task manager. So, I mean, that must be a record. That's a whole week. Uh, Todoist is, is still lurking in the background, but I'm not feeling particularly tempted to it. Uh, instead of playing with task managers, I'm currently playing with my browser. So um, I, I up until last week, I was pretty firmly a Safari user. But um, I have a couple of things that don't work very well in Safari, which gets me into uh, Chrome. Uh, and then because I've got Chrome open, I might accidentally open something in Chrome and then I don't know where my passwords are. It's all very confusing. I, I've sort of got a, a foot in the Safari world and a foot in the Chrome world at the moment. Um, but I have found a Chrome extension to, to create links in Markdown format because uh, clearly... I, I don't want to anger you any more than is strictly necessary. Well, this is good. Um, Chrome, I use Chrome on my work computer uh, to contextually compute. So all of my work stuff is in Chrome because largely we're on a G Suite based uh, system. Hmm. All of my personal stuff is in Safari, which works everywhere and everything uh, is very Apple-y. Uh, I hate Chrome. It is just nothing works quite the same way. Everything wants to direct you to more G Suite online ugly web pages. Um, yeah, I, good luck with that. Um, none of your passwords work. You know how you have to do that uh, 2FA stuff mm -hmm. and Apple texts you and says, oh, look, uh, this pops up. Would you like to fill it in here? Well, no, Chrome doesn't talk to Apple at all. So you actually have to um, open your messages and type it in like it's, you know, 2010. It's just brutal. <laughs> I I don't envy your journey on that one. We're, we're not going to be going down that uh, comparison. Well, I have um, um, Nero's Notes runs through Shopify. And there are a couple of apps within Shopify, the subscription apps particularly, which will not work in Safari. Um, I, I, I don't know why that might be, probably because Safari won't let them take all of the data and sell it to the highest bidder or something. But um, because of that, I have to go into Chrome to make that work. Um, and then, yeah, we we have a, a Google Doc, and that's, as you say, you know, once you're in the Google world, it likes to open everything Googly. And when I'm doing things like um, Google AdSense and all that sort of jazz, 
uh, it just feels sort of easier here, but then you run into all those roadblocks that you described of, oh, where are my passwords? Why hasn't that just mysteriously appeared and done what it should? Um, so, hmm, yes. And why was, is my experience so fripping ugly? <laughs> yeah, there, there is there is also that. Um, but yeah, it's a, I suppose it's useful to have a backup just in case one of the worlds goes, uh, goes AWOL for a bit. Um, what else has been happening? Oh, Evernote. You see, I was ahead of the game, Justin. Evernote is now, it's got a new personal plan, uh, which is, um, well, pretty much the same as the old personal plan. But in the free version, your version, uh, dare I call it that, you now have access to, I think, 14 uh, previously premium features. Um, it's clearly it's just there to tempt people to go, oh, look, yeah, you can do really cool things with Evernote. Maybe I should upgrade. Um, but you are still limited to 50 notes. So <laughs> that moment comes quite quickly, I would imagine. Mm. Make some really long notes for that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Just keep making bigger notes. Uh, and the other one was um, UpNote. Have you come across UpNote? That was <laughs> very very swish. I have not. I, I mean, at the moment, Stu, you're doing all my research. So uh, what is an UpNote? <laughs> an UpNote? Well, it's a nice little app. It's a pretty little app. I have to say that. Um, it's, um, <laughs> I follow a guy called Julian Simpson, who's a, a writer and director. Um, he's got a, a wonderful blog called Cartoon Gravity. Um, and <laughs> I follow him. We, we met through Nero's. He's a Nero's customer. And He's, he's, he's like me. He's an interminable fiddler. So he, he comes out with these love problems and then, oh, and I'm really enjoying uh, Upnote. I'm like, Upnote? What? What's Upnote? What's Upnote? And the funny thing is that the whole post is about, you know, don't just move around apps. It's completely pointless. Don't move around apps. No, 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 no. There's no point. Now, oh, Upnote. And instantly, you know that everybody reading that post is going, hmm, maybe I'll just have a quick look at Upnote. Um, I, mean, I don't think it's anything I'm going to to flirt seriously with, but it is very pretty. If you like sort of lightweight, um, it, it's, it's sort of the nearest competitor to Bear, possibly. Um, but, you know, where everything is stored and all that, I haven't looked into. So um, perhaps something if you have a spare 10 minutes to have a look at. Otherwise, I'd leave it well alone. It actually looks almost identical to Bear. Mm. Yeah, there is a, there are certain... Uh, sort of similarities that it's it's a bit more visual i think uh, you could do all that in bear as well but uh, yeah it's uh, very similar doesn't say where it hides things no i didn't i didn't get in far enough to look but you know what about you what, what's what's your sort of follow-up from the week um well i'm apparently still interested in notes apps because i'm scrolling up and down that page <laughs> as uh, we're trying to record um oh yes um we had a long weekend. Uh, Mrs. T went, uh, let's go on a date. Let's go up to the city, which is a rare, rare, rare occasion to me. Yeah, the city been an hour north of me, but full of those things that make Stu sick, other people, mm. um, which, you know, Justin doesn't do at the moment. He's becoming, uh, well, just a bit of a recluse. You know, I've been saying how good I've been at, not buying material things. Mm -hmm. Then last. Oh. Found a new record store, Stu. Oh, cool. Uh, dropped a fortune on old vinyl, mostly with the justification of, A, it's old stuff that nobody else is going to listen to, and the few people that are, are they going to reorder it? And more importantly, it'll be at least another six months before I come back to this. Um, so I'll just buy it. So. I am working my way through a stack of new records, which is great. Some fantastic records from, well, stuff that I've bought two or three times or four times already. I was going to say, this is the, the fourth time round now, because you bought it on vinyl, then you bought it on cassettes, then you bought it on CD, then you bought it digitally, and now you're buying it on vinyl again. Is that, is that broadly right? That's pretty much it, yep. Um, but it, it it's so nice. I, I love this slow listening, I call it. The idea that you just listen to an album the way that the artist wanted you to. Mm -hmm. I was listening to a couple of albums from the late seventies. Um, and just, uh, there were favorite songs that I had and there were other songs that I kind of went, eh, you know, they were ones I grew up with. So I knew which were my favorite songs Sure. and going back after all this time and actually just forcing myself to listen to song after song after song was 
fantastic. Um, but yeah, I apparently still like material things, just different material things. Um, and I'm hoping that I'll, you know, get tired of all my old stuff real soon. Stop buying records. We'll see. <laughs> so are you going to give us any, any idea of what you bought, you know, any sort of hints? Uh, well, I got some uh, original Gary Newman stuff. I got some Dead Can Dance, uh, Martha and the Muffins, uh, Yaz for my wife. Um, got some demos. Uh, yeah, just things like that. Traditional up Justin's Alley kind of stuff. Nothing too exciting for the rest of the world oh, who good. probably doesn't even know a lot of that. Very good. All right, Stu. What's your tool of the week this week? Uh, well, my tool of the week is a cold. Um, it's uh, it kept me out of the gym for for the sort of first half of the week, which good excuse. Uh, a shame. Well, yeah, I was I was really enjoying it. Um, I went, I made it on Monday, but uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, no, Tuesday I made it too. Wednesday and Thursday, I was just mm, not feeling great, uh, but it did did allow me to sort of crack on, and so I finished a big uh, client project, big deliverable. Um, got loads of stuff done in the house, you know, doing my, my dutiful husband stuff. So that was all good. Um, the downside is that I do feel a bit like Pupu Kaka. Um, it's not ideal, but hopefully, hopefully that will pass. And this is new. I just discover some, some new background music to play while I'm working. Ooh. Um, it's, it's something you should definitely have a look at. Uh, it's, it's on YouTube. Uh, it's a thing called Beyond Your Front Door, <laughs> where there's this 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 bolding fellow who goes sort of you know just sort of bumbling around in the Canadian outback um, with his with his camper van, and he plays some very nice music and does some beautiful sort of uh, drone shooting, and it's just really nice. I've been I've been going through the back catalogue, Justin. I've been really enjoying it. Well, thank you, Stu. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, good place to go. Uh, like and subscribe, you know, all that all that YouTube stuff. And yeah, well, yes, smash the subscribe button and all that jazz, yeah. Um, and, well, uh, the other thing, the tool, um, you remember that thing called Kickstarter? It was all the rage way back when. I do, actually, yes. Yeah, it's sort of um, something cropped up in my, my inbox and made me think, oh, do you know what, I'll have a look at this. Uh, it's by Enzo, who's a... a uh, they're an American firm with an Italian sort of origin, I think. Um, and I've bought pens from them before. Uh, they've made a retractable fountain pen, which I've always disliked retractable fountain pens. Uh, but this one's in titanium, which I quite like. Uh, it's quite simple, which I quite like. It's got the, the whole sort of, you know, EDC bolt action vibe about it. Um, so uh, I've backed it um and they've made about 20 times what they were asking for so it's it's all gonna happen assuming that it doesn't all go horribly wrong um so hopefully this will be my new sort of out and about fountain pen a little sort of hiking fountain pen in 2026 because it's kickstarter yeah well yeah there, there is always that i'm not not counting on having it next week that's for sure mm. does this have i'm just looking at it now it's a bolt action pen, so it's a very EDC looking pen mm -hmm. with a kind of pilot um, vanishing point style yep. nib that comes out the end. Does it have a cap on it no. when the bolt comes back? No, it's got a special sealing mechanism. Mm. Mm. So... I'm just trying to see what that is from there. They've got a little diagram here. I don't really see anything there that looks like a seal. You've got a, um, a vanishing point, right? So you know that when you click it back, there's a little lid that comes to stop the, the ink from evaporating. Yeah, I don't have a vanishing point, but yeah, I do. I have seen plenty of them. I know how they work. Mm. Um, and yeah, the 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 selling point of this is that they have uh, you know an innovative sealing mechanism, which means that they can do this sort of bolt action. Whether it works or not, of course, remains to be seen. Yeah, but this sealing mechanism is kind of cute. Uh, anyway, we'll see. Mm. Um, I will look back for a follow up in a couple of years. <laughs> Absolutely, make a note. Um, which reminds me, uh, one of our listeners, Raf, uh, last year told me about a pre-order that he was doing for this really fancy ruler that had, uh, all of our, all of the, um, 
nibs, interchangeable nibs and interchangeable screwdrivers. Mm -hmm. uh, and he finally got it and can't even write with it. Hasn't even put the, put the pen, pen part in it. Oh. It's just a fancy um, gadget to play with on his desk, which is oh. kind of why I don't really do Kickstarter stuff. I like to have things in my hands and see what I'm getting if I don't know what it is. Mm. But good for you, Stu. Good for you throwing money away. I mean, um, supporting <laughs> uh, independent makers. Adventurously spending is how I like to look at it. I got to kind of ask a question, though. And this is just a old man ranting at the internet. Uh, Enso is a company that's been around for a while. Mm. Why are they doing this on Kickstarter? Uh, well, they're, they're one of that generation of companies that does everything on Kickstarter. Um, that uh, they just don't make anything that isn't pre-funded. I mean, it reduces a lot of the risk, obviously. Oh, it doesn't reduce it. It just transfers the risk to the customer. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a thing, Justin. There are companies that work that way. I'm getting some uh, Brad Dowdy uh, vibes. You know, everything has to be on Kickstarter. Hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess when you've got a company that you believe in and you actually have a new product that you believe in, are they doing this as expensive marketing? Are they, you know, just trying to pre-fund everything? What does that say about their business model? What does it say about their confidence in this pen mm -hmm. that they can't offer it as a regular line item? I don't know. I just, uh, I kind of look at this and... I remember the days when Kickstarter was for new companies with an idea. Mm -hmm. Sure. Not existing companies that just don't want to bankroll it because we're too good for that. We'll let you run all the risk. That uh, is a bit of a challenge for me. Anyway, grumpy old man. I think, yeah, no, I think there are a lot of companies where they learn um, how to make Kickstarter sort of very effective. And they take that learning on and just keep applying it to new products. So, you know, Studio Neat do it, um, you know, and they've got a load of products that have gone really, really well, but they still um, regularly go back to Kickstarter and, you know, launch another one. Um, as you say, uh, people like Brad, you know, he, he sort of went chasing that for a while. I mean, I think uh, a lot of people as well, Brad included, will, will tell you, you know, managing stock is just, <laughs> it's just no fun. <laughs> Um, and you know, I think he does manage stock now for, for spoke design, but certainly he got out of, um, uh, of managing sort of a wide range of stocks for, for knock and everything, because it is tough. I mean, it's hard. You, you end up with, with money that sits, sits in goods that are not necessarily very fast moving. Yeah, that's true. I, anyway, and so studio neat, you know what they have in common? Uh, nope. I don't own any of their pens. Oh, really? Okay. Studio Neat ones are quite nice. Uh, and the answer ones are not on bad either. I kind of hate this Kickstarter model. You know, if I'm paying money out, I want to get something. You know, there's, there is a relationship there and throwing money at things that I'm going to be disappointed at. Um, I'm married. I've got enough disappointment in my life. <laughs> oh dear. Well, we'll cut that out. <laughs> Fix that in post. <laughs> I'm in a crabby mood today, Stu. All right. So what about you? What's your uh, tool of the week? Well, I broke a tooth ye yesterday. Oh. Which means that A, today will be heavily disrupted and B, I'm uncomfortable. Hence, I'm crabbier than usual. So maybe that's, that's why I don't like Kickstarter this morning. <laughs> um, I've been working really, really hard on my OmniFocus 4 that I bought just before the show last Okay. Last week, uh, $75 USD, special upgrade pricing, and nothing has changed apart from me having to recreate my custom perspectives. Grr. <laughs> uh, you know the worst part about this new fancy OmniFocus? No. I still have to do all the bloody work. Ah, yes. Yeah, there, there is was that with these task managers. Ah, uh, so 100 bucks Canadian down and no change. Apart from it looks a little different. I don't know. Progress do. Thank God I'm not paying a subscription for it. What are you writing with? Anything new? Uh, actually, yes. There has been a little bit of uh, turnover this week. Um, I didn't flush anything. Everything sort of just expired of its own uh, 
own accord. So uh, what have we got in new? I've got a Twisby Mini uh, in play, uh, which I have filled with Pilot Iroshizuku. Um, and it's the oh, Murasaki Shikibu, which is a sort of purpley color. color. Um, it's lovely. Really, really nice. I've got to say the the Twisby is a cracking little pen. And it works. It seems to be the perfect combination to go with my William Hanna, which is quite toothy paper. Um, there's enough ink to sort of overcome that toothiness. You know, the, the Japanese pens sort of turn their nose up at, the, at that paper. Uh, but this is loving it. It's uh, really enjoying it. It's good. And then I've also inked up one that I don't use very often, which is uh, a Namisu Horizon. Uh, so Namisu are, are your, your favourite thing, um, a sort of Kickstarter <laughs> outfit. Um, uh, Scotland-based, I believe, from memory. Uh, and this is a kind of, uh, I suppose it's a classic cigar shape. Um, there's no roll stop on it. There's no clip on it. It's a very um, minimalist-looking pen. It's a screw top. Uh, then with a big boy nib on it. Um, this is a medium, I think, but it's quite a chunky sort of size of nib. Uh, little converter in there. Um, and I've got uh, the Mont Blanc Royal Blue in this. It's uh, probably a little bit fine and a little bit firm for my sort of taste. Uh, it, it's a nice pen, but I think this this one may be moving on. This may move on to someone else who, who might enjoy it more than me. I don't know. We'll see. Mm. Uh other than that, I've still got my Mont Blanc Dickens, which is a, you know, it's a signature pen only, really. It's, just, it's such a massive nib in there <laughs> that it, it overwhelms pretty much everything. Uh, and then my Sailor 1911, which I've got the uh, the manganese orange in. Uh, so those are running along. They'll last quite a long time. So they're not getting that much use day to day. So I got to ask, working from home, mm. for the most part. Yes. What are you doing? Practicing your signatures with this Charles Dickens? <laughs> well, by signature pen, what I mean is it's not something that I'm going to say, write uh, a journal entry in somewhere where I've got some restrained space. Uh, but I might think out loud with it. I call it, you know, just sort of write a note to myself, something I'm thinking about, see if writing helps me understand. Um, but it's not something that's got a place in my sort of you know everyday workflow as well ah so you haven't invested in the rodia a3 pads just so you can write a couple of words on them <laughs> i uh, almost certainly have a couple of them around but yeah they're, they're not easily accessible at the moment i don't think and even if they were where would you put them in your minimalist <laughs> you that'd be on top of your clicky keyboard stew <gasps> we'd all be making noise heaven forfend what about you what are you writing with well, I was getting bored of saying same thing. So I went to look for some different pens and I had, I think I've been talking to Stu too much. I had a hankering for some big nibs. Um, first thing I realized is I don't use big nibs a lot. And a few of them that I have, I actually found a couple that weren't clean. Ugh! Uh, oh, help us. Always flush. Uh, one of them is still on my counter. Uh, hidden away from prying eyes of Mrs. T because uh, ink, my kitchen. I always get trouble for that. Um, but yes, I had to use two different uh, pen flushes to get that clean. Mostly what it what had happened, it had, had discolored mm -hmm. uh, the inside of a cartridge converter. The nib itself was fine, but um, you know me, that, 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 just set me right off. So uh, I spent far more time than I ever should uh, just trying to clean the inside of a converter for something that was just stained. Sure. So yeah, that's that's Justin's life. Um, two new pens that I did ink up. Uh, the first one is a Franklin Kristoff Model 66. Um, I've got a link in the show notes. Uh, they turn over their colors so quickly uh, this thing is sort of a mottled red with it's got different colors of red in there all kind of crunched together and then machined out uh, it's probably got a real cute name to it i can't remember what it was mm -hmm. um but this pen is well i feel like harry potter with a wand it's that long stew 
Um, it is definitely a desk pen. I don't think it would fit in anything else. And it's got a very, very meaty, sick, bold nib. Uh, Sig nib was their nib grinder who passed away a few years ago. Okay. Uh, had a very custom grind that he liked to do. So uh, that's what that is. I ink that with a, a Jacobon Rouge Hermatite uh, ink, which is a scarlet red with sparkles in it. Uh, and I can use the sparkles because this thing is such a fire hose. Stu would be impressed with this snip. Excellent. And then just because I wanted something bright, I dug out a little traditional Pelican. Uh-huh. Stu again. M200. It's got a very, very wide medium nib on it and i was looking through my ink and i was like let's try something different because i've got boxes of inks too but i always tend to reach for the same ones the tried and true sure um and i found this box that i don't really remember and had to google what the name of it was lamy's copper orange uh, and i think that was like a special edition i don't know how many years ago that would have been 2015 2015 okay so uh how do I say this nicely? The box shows a bright orange. Uh, the words copper orange, there's a lot more copper and a lot less orange than I was expecting. So sure. I was looking for a nice bright orange and this one, not quite as bright as I wanted. It'll do for now. It may end up getting flushed and something more colorful putting in there, but life is too short for inks you don't like, Stu. Absolutely. Then I've got the rest of this bottle of copper orange. If I flush it, I will never use it again. Got to figure out what to do with that too. <sighs> It'll just wait till it dries up in the bottle, you know, a hundred years from now. <laughs> All right. We, a couple of weeks ago when we found out that Dustin is a psychopath and isn't good at friends, except for perhaps the friends of the bar that Stu was talking about, we were talking about our, the friendship and what it means to be a friend, to have a friend, to hold a friend, and sort of what our expectations of friends are. And we said we'd circle back to it. So uh, you guys have already heard a little bit from me, but I wanted to unpack that with Stu a bit. Stu, what is a friend to you? <laughs> okay, well, the first thing, uh, Justin, is I've got some great news for you. Uh, you may not be a psychopath. Um, you might, in fact, be completely normal. I'm not sure if you're going to be pleased or disappointed by this news, but I found an article from the esteemed uh, publication, I have no idea if it's esteemed or not, the Los Angeles Times, which uh, I quote, said 30 years ago, a majority of men, 55%, reported having at least six close friends. Today, that number has been cut in half, according to survey data. And 15% of men reported having no close friendships at all a five-fold increase since 1990. So there you are. One in seven men do not have any close friends, Justin. All right. I'm, ah. I'm, I'm making up a statistic. That's good. I'm not a fringe <laughs> outlier. Nope. We've got, you, we've got you in a percentile somewhere. You're, you're there. You're on a spectrum of some sort. Oh, let's not talk about spectrums. Oh, or spectra, I think. If I'm going to get Latin attached, you uh, spectra. Oh boy. Off to off topic here, spectrums. I, and I, this is actually a legitimate question. My wife and daughter have been doing some research on ADHD. My, oh, heaven help you. But my wife determined the other day that, oh yes, you are classic. You have all of these symptoms. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you call them symptoms, traits, whatever you call them. Sure. I, all news to me, this stuff. Uh, and she you know, from the armchair diagnosed me as saying ADHD. Uh -huh. And I laughed at her and I said, no, stop reading books like that. <laughs> uh, my daughter came home Yep. and uh, I was teasing that mom. It's a plot, everybody. It's a plot. I was teasing her that um, mom had said that. And uh, she looked at me, she goes, well, you do. <laughs> and then I said, and I wouldn't be surprised if you have a little bit of autism as well. And I was just like, oh my God. I am a psychopathic, ADHD, autistic, I, you know, this is why Dr. Google is not your friend. Um, <laughs> if anybody has any resources that they could share with me about real stuff on this, because 
you know, I don't know. I've just always been the way I am. <laughs> I, I don't know if I actually have a problem or not. And I'm scared to go look because well, I, I don't believe the internet anymore, Stu. Um, something about the last uh, what, eight years of politics have taught me not to believe the internet. Well, the first thing I would, I would point out to, to anybody is that uh, by definition, a spectrum, we're all on the spectrum. It wouldn't be a spectrum unless we were all on it. So everybody has, to a certain extent, those traits. The question is when those traits move from normal to abnormal, and you are then defined as having a condition or uh, characterized as, as ADHD, which I don't think it's even called anymore. I think it's called something else now. Um, so we, we all have elements of that behavior. It's when those elements become, I suppose, dominant that you become diagnosable. Um, I mean, I know that Margaret, her class at the moment, I think more than 60% of the class are in some way defined as diagnosable on that spectrum, um, going all the way from some quite severe autism to, um, and I use the word reservedly, mild ADHD traits. Um, and I think, you know, old man that I am, I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that it never used to be diagnosed. I'm sure that's a fairly obvious statement. And I'm also fairly certain that if you keep asking people whether they might be A, B, or C, then people will go, oh, yes, I recognize elements of A, B, and a little bit of C, perhaps I may be C. Um, so I think there's, there's a bit of both there. I mean, it's great if these things are causing people problems it's great that they're identified and they're getting all the help and support they need um that's fantastic but yeah it it is a thing isn't it it's definitely a thing um and i can't believe it's just diagnosis i don't know something that uh, i know very little about but uh, i've been hit with that twice in the last couple of days it's kind of made me go <laughs> do i need to look into this i yeah. mean i'm just who i am right you think you've got it? You think you've got it hard? My wife keeps telling me I've got Alzheimer's. Oh gosh! <laughs> Hang on, I just forgot where I put my keys. Let's not get carried away with this. <laughs> this is why Doctor Google Google is never a good thing. Indeed. Anyway, if anybody does have any links for actual useful information on that, I'd certainly be interested in it. Other than that, I'll just carry on doing the same as I've always done and been sort of that. Just be grumpy. Lean into grumpy. Unsociable psychopath that doesn't like people. Okay, so friendship. Um, my view, which I'm sure I've stolen from someone, uh, steal like an artist, Austin Cleon reference, there we go. Um, uh, I have a sort of circles of friendship model. So first of all, this is going to be a big ask for a lot of people. We, we need to assume that I am the sun. Um, so if we could just keep the bowing and the worship down to the absolute minimum, um, you, you'll see where I'm going. And I was about to sacrifice Coco to your honor. <laughs> oh, heavens. No, not Coco. Good Lord. No. Um, so th the closest orbit around me uh, is my house. And this is how I see sort of your closest friendship model. It's the people you live with. Uh, or in our case, the people and animals <laughs> that, that we live with. Uh, you know, dog is a man's best friend. I would certainly um, sign up to that. Um and so for me, it's my wife is that sort of, you know, closest orbit, the person that knows me best, sees the most of me, that is uh, my closest friend. Um, then I have another circle sort of outside of that, which I would call um, my close friends. Some of those might be related to me. They might not be. I don't think there's a rule either way. I don't think their geography is relevant to this. So those people might be living close to you. They might not be. Uh, for me, they're not, none of them. And uh, a point that I stole from your notes was that, you know, time is irrelevant to those connections. Those are, are friendships that you might not see somebody for a year, two years, three years, but within 10 minutes of being in each other's company, the relationship is back to where it was. It's just timeless um and i think that's sort of the two close orbits and then i have you know several other sort of what i call friendship orbits and those might be very thematic so i might have 
what we discussed before, the Amici del Bar, which is people that I know in the bar or people that I might call up and say, shall we go to the bar or should we go out and have some supper? Um, our friendship's not necessarily very deep. Our conversation isn't necessarily very deep, but it's people with whom, you know, I, I pass some pleasant time on fairly superficial level. Uh, there, are, there are people I play golf with. Um, you know, that I organize to go play golf with and we sort of, you know, chat as we go around and then we go and have a drink together and there might be some other guys in the clubhouse, you know, hi, how are you doing? Um, we're not necessarily going to each other's house. We're not going out to parties together. We see each other at the golf course. Um, geography buddies. So people who live close to me, you know, I know the people that live around me. They know me. Uh, somebody has a problem with his car, he might call me up, can you help me out, that type of thing. It's a sort of mutual support system. I think because I live in a foreign country, I am not a native of this country, uh, there's a sort of expat thing that goes on where uh, people who naturally speak the same language tend to, to sort of link together because we all face the problem of having to try and communicate in a foreign language sometimes. Um, and there are more, there are more, you know, the sort of just little, little circles that sometimes come very close. Uh, so I used to play rugby with a bunch of guys in Prague. I mean, mostly I used to drink with them, to be honest, but occasionally we used to play rugby. Uh, and uh, what would it be now? Seven or eight years ago, we had a reunion where uh, we all sort of went back to Prague from our various points of the, of the compass. And we got together and drank quite a lot. Uh, played a little bit of rugby, uh, got together, sang, sang the old songs, did the old things, you know, all of those cliche type things. And it was like, you know, we were back in time. Uh, we were all a little bit older, a little bit fatter, um, probably not quite as good at rugby, pretty, still pretty good at drinking. Uh, and that was, you know, an incredibly emotional time. I had a fantastic time. I came home, I bored my wife senseless with every detail of every song. Um, and then sort of within two weeks, I sort of didn't speak to those people again for another five years. It's just the, the orbit went long and, you know, perhaps there'll be a, a reunion another five years. Who knows? So I think friendships work like that. I think they have, you know, moments when they come, come into focus and moments when they drift out. And uh, that, that's my model. Justin, you asked for my model and it's the circles of friendship model. Wow. Which I'm sure I've stolen from someone. There you go. I like it though. I can I can visualize it, and that's actually helpful. Well, there you are then. Um, mine is a little more binary than that, but uh, certainly there are different kinds of friends as well. Um, I'm I'm curious. How did you and Margaret meet? As far as being best friends, hmm. um, were you friends first, or were you dating first and became friends? Uh, we met through work. Um, I. Um was after I worked in foreign exchange for quite a long time when I was working for a company. I was in, you know, operational, group operations director, or God for short. Um, I then set up my own firm uh, offering training back into that industry. So I used to go and train the frontline staff to, well, essentially to make more money. That was my, my big gig. And I was asked to... Uh, provide a demonstration training course to uh, quite a big company in the UK, quite a quite a well-known foreign exchange company who had uh, a bunch of uh, high street locations. So it's you know, central London, Bureau de Change, airports, Heathrow, Gatwick, that type of thing. Um, and I'd pitched through a friend, I'd pitched to these guys that I could add a lot to their bottom line. Uh, and this is the first and last time this ever happened to me. They said, okay, prove it. And so I had to sort of provide a sort of best of <laughs> hour of training, if you like, to their training team, their operational management, uh, the CEO, uh, sort of, you know, a cast of stars. I had to just pretend that they, they were um, foot soldiers in the business uh, and show them what I could do. And the biggest obstacle. Uh, in the company was there was one member of the training team who was a specialist in frontline training, had worked on the front line and uh, knew everything that needed to be known about the front line and resented the idea of some uh, external guy coming in. Ah, uh, one of those. And that was, that was Margaret. <laughs> so I delivered 
uh, my my sort of best of. I took the the things that tend to go down quite well um, because my experience was I'd worked on the front line. Um, I I came up from the sort of the, the base entry point of that business. I'd done every job in the business, uh, and that was really my my thing too. Is that I know or knew how those people thought. I knew what their problems were. I knew what their concerns were. What things they found hardness, and I distilled all of that experience into these these sort of little snippets, and it went really well. Uh, and this was back in the day, so um, there was a break while uh, essentially the the training team went out on the balcony to have a cigarette <laughs> and, dis and discuss the fat guy and see if he was any good. Uh, and everybody really turned to Margaret because she was the one that had hated the idea um, and it was very much her territory and her toes that were being stepped on. Um, and she um, turned around to the, the team and went, yeah, he's really good. Um, and so, and that was the last time you ever heard that from your wife's lips. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, and then, yeah, we worked together. Um, I delivered a big sort of suite of training courses across their, their operation. I was living in Cyprus at the time. Um, and the, the team was in the UK, so I was doing a lot of commuting. Uh, and then there's, there's a lovely story of how we actually got together, but I'll save that for another time. And, um, we, we sort of began sort of flirting, I guess, gently and eventually got, got ourselves together. Um, did a bit of a long-term relationship thing for, oh, I suppose, nine months. And then I sent her a, a message. We used to talk for hours on the phone and stuff. And I, I sent her a message saying, uh, get me, a, get me a flat. Um, and so she did, she went and got me a flat in London. I moved into it, uh, just after Christmas, I think we're January, the January, the 15th. Um, so yeah, it was, it was through work. There was a friendship there, you know, a working relationship. Um, but that would quite quickly, I, I guess, move to, to something more romantic. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. For me, I, it, I've got a weird one with my current wife. Uh, we had been friends for 10 years or so before we started dating, uh, while we were both in other relationships. Um, oh. but we were just always friends. And so for me, when I say that I married my best friend, yeah, I kind of did because we never had that dating thing get in the way, you know, we just became friends first. So sure. it's kind of an interesting one, uh, definitely different than previous relationships in my life. So I was kind of curious how yours were. Is she still my best friend? Most days, uh, between <laughs> her and the dog, uh, you know, I, I mean, like any best friend, uh, she could drive me nuts and I could drive her nuts, but, uh, yeah, we, uh, I, I, I'm very lucky to have my best friend living in my house. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the secret to longevity in these things. Uh, either that or a divorce costs too much and it's just not worth it this time in life. Well, there is also that, I guess. <laughs> I was thinking about what friends are like and going through, I, I don't have circles of friends. I hadn't modeled my friendships that way, but hmm. one thing I had noted and we had mentioned in the show notes is that, uh, there are friends that I have that I've had for some of the longest friends. Um, you know, we've met, uh, perhaps, you know, we were doing things together, but they're friends that I might not talk to for years, mm -hmm. uh, but we get together, you know, every five years or so. And all of a sudden it's like, we were never apart, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's cool as well. They're kind of few and far between, and, uh, I probably don't do a good enough job of keeping in touch with those types of people on a regular basis. But you know, when circumstances bring us all together, um, it's just like everything picks up, which is cool, but, uh, mm. very rare for me. Huh. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's normal. I mean, um, Stu and I, um, sort of manufactured a, a way of getting together once a year. So, um, the, the Camino is that largely, uh, don't get me wrong. I enjoy walking. I think there's something very, very special about it. Um, I certainly enjoy sitting down and eating great Spanish food and drinking fantastic Spanish wine. But, um, most importantly, I get to spend, uh, five, six days with, with my best friend and the opportunity always existed. Uh, he lives in Ireland. I don't. Uh, so there was always, you know, problems or obstacles to getting together, but you know, there are aeroplanes these days and, you know, he's got two kids that, uh, you know, sort of just 
one of them is just cusping into adulthood, ad, adulthood, uh, and another is a little bit younger. Um, so he's got you know all of that stuff going on. He runs his own business. I was running mine. Uh, I kept moving countries. So there are lots of things that made a sort of frequent friendship really, really complicated. And so we weren't able to do it. Um, and then he fell upon the idea of doing the Camino in memory of uh, of one of our friends from Prague, one of the rugby guys uh, who'd passed away. Uh, and that that created that opportunity for us to go away for a week each year, um, which we intend to continue. And also to, you know, talk on the phone and, you know, plan the logistics and, and keep the relationship going that way. But yeah, there were periods in, in our friendship uh, when did we last live in the same country? We last lived in the same country in probably 95, something like that. Um, so there were periods of three or four years where we maybe spoke once. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm completely with you on that. I agree. I mean, another one of my closest friends is the guy that I ran a business with um, who uh, you know, still lives in, in the UK. Uh, and who I see, I don't know, maybe once or twice a year. And it's one of those friendships where after about 15 minutes, we're back to where we were, we're laughing. Um, we're sort of seeing the same strengths and weaknesses in each other that we always saw and, you know, faithfully promising to make more of an effort, but you know, he's busy and I'm busy and life, I, I think it's normal. I, I think everybody's like that to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Now you've lived abroad a lot longer than I have. Or, you know, or in a different physical location. Sure. Do you find it is easier now to hold long distance relationships or has it always been the same for you? Mm, I think being, um, well, what we used to call being an expat, um, more accurately being an immigrant, uh, I think you begin to understand the reality of friendships a little bit earlier. Um, I think in the older model of society where, you know, we all grew up in a place and, and largely stayed in or adjacent to that place and, and had friendships that, you know, lasted from, from kindergarten to retirement. I think there was always an element of, um, I suppose convenience and availability. Your your circle of friends was very much that circle that you were you were always a circle with. Um, and I know for Margaret, who she never really moved away from London until well, until I made her. <laughs> well, no, until we moved away um, when she would have been in her forties. I'm going to guess so. Um, people that she counted as her closest friends, she quite quickly realized were not her closest friends once they weren't close anymore geographically. Um, you know, the relationship was, I suppose, not as strong as she felt it was. I think there was a, a tendency to go, oh, well, I see this person every day and therefore they are my closest friend, whereas maybe actually they weren't. It was something that was a bit more convenient. And so there was a real adjustment for Margaret. She found that really challenging. She found that really difficult. She was like, well, so-and-so doesn't seem that interested. And I would say, well, you know, maybe, maybe your, your friendship, you know, was geographical and, and won't be the same with different geography. And, uh, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, um, I've written somewhere in here, you know, that some, some friendships do have expiry dates. <laughs> it's just just the way it works. And at our age, that can mean all kinds of different things, Stu. Well, exactly. I mean, um, as as an expat, then you know, I had friends when I moved to to Paris. I had a circle that I I used to hang out with. I used to work with. I used to drink with. I used to party with. Um, and I'm not in touch with any of them. I don't think one or two, maybe through social media, but um, it became apparent to me that there were a lot of friendships that would be quite intense and they would last for a period, uh, you know, one, two, three years, depending on where we were. Uh, and there would be very, very few friendships that would, would sort of survive that. Um, and that's why I've always believed that you've, you're going to have more fingers on one hand than you will have close friends, real close friends. Mm. And, 
I, that's true true of me now. I think there's you know maybe three or four people who I would I would say are close, and and you know one or two of those are probably closer than others. But um, I think that's the way of things, and I think bouncing around from country to country um, and from sort of circle to circle made me made me aware of that 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 was just the way that life was, and also being from a military family. Um, you know, my my mother and father were like that. So they would be on three-year postings. They would be posted to, I don't know, um, the Netherlands for three years. And and there would be guys there that they would be working with, that they would go out and, and have dinner with once a week and go drinking beer with twice a week. And um, and then either they would get posted away or or the friends would get posted away and they might not bump into each other for 20 years, you know. Um, so it became, I think, quite normal. Um, and also for me, I never really had very close relationships with uh, with immediate family. So um, my my dad comes from a very large family, um, Scottish Irish, and I didn't really know any of them until I was in my thirties, maybe thirties, forties. Um, they were all up in Scotland. I was nowhere near Scotland. Um, my mum's family I knew a little bit better growing up, but I wasn't close to any of them. I'm not close to any of them now. You know, we bump into each other at weddings and funerals, that type of thing. Um, and again, that was a very military thing. You know, once you were in the military, the military was, you know, took you where where you went. I mean, I never served, but um our life was was pointed at that. So I think that helps you sort of understand what friendship really is he says trying not to sound patronizing whereas i think margaret found it um found it quite difficult to discover that you know all of the people that she felt were her closest friends were maybe not um and that she didn't have quite as many people that she could count on uh you know when the chips were down that type of stuff as, as she thought but she's i think much more settled into that now and um i i definitely think that there is a there's a, a misunderstanding in the world that, you know, we all have to be successful. You've got to have a hundred friends and that's why people are concerned with how many followers they've got on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I have many friends who are online. You and I have never met <laughs> and yet I talk to you more than I talk to any of my friends. Mm, me too. And, and, and record it to boot. Uh, and that's, yeah, it's a very modern um, approach to a friendship and it's a very new sort of dynamic but i don't think it's any less genuine it's just different yeah i i, I know exactly what you were saying though uh, particularly when you were talking about margaret moving and that sort of change mm. uh, when we moved up here what i noticed is the first year we were here our guest room was booked every weekend sure and then as we've been here a couple of years that has reduced to just a few people that come up regularly mm -hmm. um which uh, you know is fine for me i don't mind not having company but um it uh, certainly is something that the ties of distance do weaken sure um you know I, I, and as for online buddies um my wife uses that thing called facetime all the time mm -hmm. um i can't remember the last time i did a facetime stew I think it was probably with you and TJ. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't do any of that stuff. I just, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'd have closer friends if I stuck my face in front of a camera and talked to them. Um, yeah, I mean, that might be an age thing. I don't talk to any of my close friends on, on FaceTime. Um, you know, I regularly chat to Stu uh, and we do it voice. Um, I guess, cause that's what we used to. Um, and you know, he might be up a ladder. He's a, he's a sort of painter decorator by, by trade. So he might be up a ladder doing something. Um, and you know, I'll be sitting here, uh, you know, probably looking at various and sundry screens and doing worky type stuff. Um, yeah, that could just be an age thing. We're just, we're just old and crumbly and we don't need to see everybody all the time. God, we're miserable, aren't we? <laughs> I do FaceTime my mother a couple of times a week. There we go. Ah. Good for you. How's she doing, by the way? Uh, she's okay. She's all right. She's um uh because of her various and sundry ailments and conditions, winter is quite scary for her. Um, that's when she she risks things going wrong. She's got COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or emphysema as it used to be known. 
Um, she she smoked way too much as a, as a younger woman. So um, that type of thing, this type of year is, is kind of scary for her. She doesn't go out if it gets really cold or if it's rainy. She's got mobility issues and stuff. But um, it's, I think, been reasonably mild in the UK. So she's feeling pretty tickety-boo at the moment. Excellent. Excellent. All right, Stu. Do you have any keys to su successful friendships? Uh, oh, the Lennon formula trademark. Uh, yes. Well, um, I, th I think the key to friendship, and this is one that Margaret and I have sort of talked through a million and one times, because my approach um, is quite defined and hers wasn't. Um, I expect nothing of anyone. I don't expect anything of my friends. Um, I, I focus on being the friend that they need. So I, I try and keep that. It's, it's, it's partly a stoic thing, I guess, but I try and keep focus on what I can do and what I should do. I don't, you know, set rules and say, I must phone this person every week. But I do think, okay, you know, I think whatever my friend is going through, maybe it would be of, of help to him or her if, if I was just a little bit more present or a little bit more available. Um, or maybe, the, you know, the best thing for me to do is not to be the one that's asking about these things that I know are going on, but, you know, just be, be the friend that, that is there at the end of the phone for a laugh. So I, I try and focus on being the best friend that I can be um, from what I understand of what's going on in someone's life. And I don't expect anything of anyone else. And um, I find that that means I'm never disappointed. Whereas Margaret, I think um, she, she, at times I've accused her of being very transactional in her friendship. And, and she's like, well, you know, I've done this, so this person needs to do that or to, to reciprocate. And I'm like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> in my experience, that's just not how friendships work. Um, I have some friends who, um, I, you know, I feel sort of need quite a lot from me and maybe don't give me that much. Um, and I have friends the other way around who are much more supportive and, and don't take that much. And, you know, I don't see that there's a difference there. There's not a quality difference. It's just a different relationship. So I, I don't expect things of people and therefore I'm never disappointed. That's my sort of formula for friendship. I had a very good one at that too. Right, you, do you have a, you know, a, a sort of standard, uh, a, a maxim to live by? Honestly, I'm crap at friendships, so no, I don't. <laughs> I don't have anything that anybody else would get. Uh, anything out of that's why i wanted to find out Stu's success formula the lennon formula <laughs> tm now if it's uh it's any good to i think you're a good friend to me and that's the only real thing i can judge on so you're perhaps not as bad as it as as you think but i did have a little um a quote from somerset maugham uh, the writer he's he's come out with a couple of really good quotes one of which was that um uh he only writes when inspiration strikes. Uh, unfortunately, uh, inspiration strikes at exactly nine o'clock after he's been sitting at his typewriter for five minutes. Um, and the other thing he said is, it's no good trying to keep up old friendships. It's painful for both sides. So the fact is, one grows out of people, and the only thing is to face it. Wise words from young Somerset there. Very wise. Hmm. All right, you got any takeaways on this subject? Of friendship. Ah, well, as I said, expectation is the mother of disappointment. Uh, focus on being the best friend you can be. Mine is don't be a psychopath. Um, no, I, uh, you know, just listening to Stu, I think it's okay to let friendships go when they don't work for you anymore. And yeah. when you do have them, just as Stu said, be the best friend you can be without that reciprocal expectation. If you could do that, it is a tough one to do. Sure. All right, Stu, where are you hiding on the internet this week? Or are you still uh, avoiding the internet? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, you can find me at stuartlannon.com, um, where I've been writing about my, my sudden tendency to burst into tears at the drop of a hat. Um, uh, I'm not really on X apart from corporately. Um, it's just it's still horrible. <laughs> to be honest, social media is ticking me off. Uh, you can find um, bits and pieces of me at Nero's Notes on, on the socials or on the website at uh, nearestnotes.co.uk um 
And you can find me at limeconsulting.com if you're interested in sort of anti-money laundering. Why why would you be, for heaven's sake? What about you, Justin? Where can people find you apart from the excellent YouTube channel Beyond Your Front Door? <laughs> Thanks, Stu. Uh, you can find links to everything I do at justintwyford.com. You can email both Stu and myself, stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. Uh, if you could, please like and review us on your podcast, Catcher Choice. We really do appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues to help the channel grow. Ooh. Is that is that the right word that all the YouTubers say? Uh, are we are we a channel? Are we a channel now? Are we a podcast channel? Uh, no, we're not. We're no, not. We're just, no, we're, not we're just two friends talking a <laughs> bunch of crap to each other. It's all good, Stu. All right. And we're going to find out a little bit more about each other next week. Uh, we're going to talk about our origin stories. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.